Waymakers. So when we reflect on ancient men, they were builders of prototypes. The problem with living in a domesticated world is that we have become part of the machine. We consume, but we have lost the need to contribute. Innovation and creativity become obscure in a tame world because there is simply less need for it. Instead of innovation being a common necessity and trait, it becomes something that we celebrate in the few. I'm concerned that in our safe, tame, convenient world, we have squelched innovation, creativity, and a pioneering spirit. See, part of our destiny as followers of Christ and part of our destiny just as humanity is to pave the way for the next. And how much more for the church, right? To pave the way for the next, the next generation. Come on, the next move of God, the next move in somebody else's life. We are the pioneers. We are the apostles of that movement. Are you with me? And we, for the, for the, but the greater thing, the, the great thing that God is calling us to is to be waymakers, to be forerunners for the return of Jesus. That is ultimately what we're going after. This is what we see at, that the disciples were fueled by. Did you know that the disciples, part of the reason that they were so so uh, passionate about their purpose is they thought Jesus would return during their generation. So that's why they worked their tails off so hard is because they saw themselves as forerunners. And I'm afraid that in our society and in our civilized world is what we've done as we said, you know what? Things are just going to happen. It's just a machine and I'm just a gear in it. But God wants to raise us up to be forerunners. God wants to raise us up to be way makers, pioneers, groundbreakers, catalysts, paving the way for the next. Whether it be the next in our children, whether it be the next in our church, whether it be the next in our city, come on, whether it be next in the kingdom, God is raising up way makers. And that is the spirit of the wild is to make way. A forerunner is one that precedes and indicates the approach of another. Did you know that it's not about you? This is why we, when we talk about leadership, leadership is so important. Why? Because we're spearheading something to allow the next to flow into. And listen, we're not just bringing them into our system. We're actually, we were talking about this last night. We're not just teaching people what to think. We're teaching them how to think. Why? Because we are, we are setting up prototypes that people can move into so they can build more prototypes. And so there's a prototype of this spirit, a wild, undomesticated man, a wild, undomesticated forerunner named John the Baptist. He was wild. If you look through Scripture, there's nobody as wild that I can think of in Scripture as John. And John, if you remember from the Christmas story, John was actually a miraculous birth. He was born in barrenness. His mom, Elizabeth, was, was an older, barren woman. She could not bear children. His dad was a temple priest. So John the Baptist was groomed for the system. Are you with me? He was totally groomed for the system. He grew up, and then he grew up to despise the system that he was groomed in. So what he does is he moves in to isolation. He moves in, not really isolation, but obscurity. He moves into the, the desert places, and, and many uh, theologians and historians believe that he began to study there. He began to consecrate himself. We know that John was a Nazarite. A Nazarite just simply means that someone that's set apart um, for a purpose, that um, they were... They, they did all kinds of crazy things. If you go back and you look uh, through Leviticus and you read about the Nazarite vow, they wouldn't cut their hair. They wouldn't drink anything that came from a, from, uh, from a vine. They wouldn't eat grapes. They wouldn't eat grape seeds. Nothing. It, 
grapeseed oil, nothing. They wouldn't touch anything that grew from a vine. They were totally consecrated for the purposes of God. And we see, if you guys remember Samson, Samson was also a Nazarite, and we knew that he never cut his hair. When he cut his hair, he lost his strength. Well, it wasn't because he cut his hair. It's because he broke his vow. And so this Nazar- there's a power in the Nazarite forerunning commitment, devotion that God wants to use in this hour, just like he used in the life of John the Baptist. And so he moves out to the desert. He breaks free from the system that he was groomed for. If you know anything about uh, biblical times, if you know anything about, you know, really humanity as a whole, usually the kids do what the parents did. So John was probably, it was when he was born, they were probably saying he's, he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. But instead, he, he saw that the system was faulted. And he broke away from the system. We talked about that last week. And he moved out to the desert, and he, and he, and he had... He was crazy. He was just, he was strange. And people would go. He had disciples, people that would follow him. Probably not a lot, but a lot of people, several people would go out to follow him. But people would go out of the city and go into the desert to look for this man who was living in obscurity and just just to look at him and just to hear what he was saying because what he had to say was so different than anything they had heard. He was totally out of the box. And the thing that was attractive about him, listen, the thing that was attractive about him is that he was different, that he was not like everyone else. It was his holiness that was attractive. Beloved, can I tell you, in this hour, it will be the church's holiness that will draw people to us. It will not be, listen, it won't be because we're trying to be like the world. Listen, you can't be like the world better than the world can be like the world because you're not the world. And so what we've done in the church is we try to emulate the world thinking we can draw people in and we're ineffective and powerless and unimpressive. And then the world goes, you're fake. Why? Because we're being something that we're not created to be. Matthew chapter 3. Let's read the biblical account John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is near well that's great so what a kind man this is who he spoke this is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way of the Lord make straight paths for him Isaiah goes on to say make the crooked places straight the rough places smooth John's clothes were made up of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist his food was locust and wild honey. He was the ultimate hipster. Right? Not like what you think, right? People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So there was something that was attractive about this weird guy. Confessing their sins. His lifestyle, his holiness, if you will. Holiness means set-apartness, Right? Holy, holy means, it doesn't mean you don't wear makeup, come on, or you only wear dresses, or you cover your head. Holiness means that your life is set apart. His holiness drew people. People would come out there to, to see what he was doing. This is, this is interesting. But it, this is what happened. They didn't just come out and see. They actually did something because of what they saw. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan. Now, the reason why we call him John the Baptist is not because he was the first Baptist. Right? The first Baptist, John the Baptist. No, no. John the Baptist. Well, he wasn't a Baptist. He was John the Baptizer. He was, you know, y'all okay? He wasn't John, first name John, last name Baptist. Right? It was his, that was what he did. So they were, ba- <laughs> they were baptized by him in the Jordan. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them. So 
here's like all the common folk come in, they're getting saved, like, or they're confessing their sins, God's doing a work in their life. And then the religious come, probably to scrutinize what he's doing. And when he sees them coming, he says, you brood of vipers, which is kind of like a cuss word in the Bible. I know you don't like to think that, but that was like really, you know, if you said that to someone now, you'd be like, okay, that's a weird, weird, weird person. Um, oh, what is that? I'm so insulted, right? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So again, he's telling everybody to repent. The good people, the bad people, the system, the non-system, he's telling everybody to repent. Why? What does repentance mean? Does that mean stop sinning? Yes, it does mean stop sinning, but it's deeper than that. Repentance means to change your mind. And when you change your mind, your actions will change. If your actions haven't changed, it's because you haven't changed your mind. Well, I've repented because repentance is a mindset, and I'm thinking differently. If you're thinking differently, your life will follow. The Bible talks about thinking from your heart. And remember, in in biblical narrative, thinking and what they thought of their heart was very much the same thing. In fact, the ancients thought that, that your heart was in your head. Yeah, we'll talk about that in this next series. But or they thought their brain was in their chest. It was in it, something like that, something weird. All right, they were they were they didn't know. They didn't know what we know. All right. Do not think that you could say to yourself, "We as Abraham is our father." Now, basically, in saying that, they're saying we're the we're God's children, right? We're the children of covenant, of covenant, because simply they were born Jews. He said, "Listen, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father.' I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up." children of Abraham. And that's what God did, right? Maybe not out of stones, but out of other people, right? We all are children of Abraham by faith, right? By faith through adopt, through the spirit of adoption. And then he says this, he says, the ax is already at the root of the trees. What is, what is he saying? He said, there's about to be an overthrow of this government. The ax is here. I'm preparing the way. The way is coming. The one is coming. The axe is at the root. Your system is about to break. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I'll baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals who I am not fit to carry. He's saying, I am not the Messiah. I am just laying down my life. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with a constant. When we talk about fire, what are we talking about? That wild fire that we talked about in week one. Jesus will baptize you in fire. Not just this Holy Spirit that gives you peace, but he will wreck your life. He's going to mess all your plans up. Invite him in. I know you got your nice little tame, put together life, but God wants to bring an interruption because he wants you to become a way maker. And it's bigger than you. Y'all okay today? I don't want preaching hard today, but, but John the Baptist, listen, we call him a way maker because John the Baptist is a picture of the church. Um, Jesus Jesus uses this language a couple of times. First of all, he says, I am the light of the world. Remember? Right? Then he says what? Which light, understand, biblical narrative, Bible, in the Bible, it's not a light bulb like the Christian t-shirt shows you. It is a flame. In the Bible, you do not have light. You don't emit light without a flame. Right? You can't be the light of the world without the fire of God in your life. You can't. It's just impossible. So Jesus said, I am the fire, I am the light of the world, I break the darkness, I am the light of the world. Then he says, you are the light of the world to his disciples. But look what he says about John, John chapter 5, verse 35. John was like the burning and shining lamp that you were excited for a while about his message. So did you know that many of the disciples that followed Jesus were the same ones that followed John? They, they left John's camp and joined Jesus' camp, and John was happy about it. 
thing. I don't, I, I'm working on it. Did you know the, the, we, we talk about the first martyr a lot of times people call that give that label to Stephen he was the first martyr of the church and he was the first martyr of the church but the first new covenant martyr is John the Baptist John the Baptist was beheaded for his faith what does it say at the end of the age that will usher in the return of Jesus it says the blood of the martyrs will do that you see we look at we look at the world like man the martyr and by the way more martyrs have happened in the last 100 years than have happened in centuries past and just in case you you know you think that that doesn't happen anymore it happens every day people die for their faith john was a picture an image of the church a waymaker so whereas john was the waymaker for the first return the church is the waymaker for the second return that's who we are we are the waymakers but it takes a, listen it takes a spirit of wildness just like John the Baptist had, if we want to make a way. You're not going to make a way by living life as ordinary, by living in the system, by being a gear. You're not going to make a way for anything. Buck the system. Buck the system. Waymakers. So John possessed these things, and these are things that we should possess. Number one, a wild message. John's message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, is near, it's coming. The kingdom is coming. That was his message. So his message was the kingdom. The criteria was repentance, right? So his message wasn't really repentance. His message was the kingdom. But in order to get that message, you've got to repent. You've got to think differently. You've got to change your ways. So the system was preaching conform, right? They did this with Jesus. You need to do what we're doing. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to come and do it. We talked about that last week. You need to do this, that, and the other. They were preaching conform. John was preaching reform. Change the way you think. Things are different now. It's the new dispensation. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus is going to fulfill the law. He's going to be the Messiah. That was the, the old Mosaic covenant. That covenant's coming to an end. There's a new covenant. The axe is at the root. It's about to chop it down. Everything that you've built is going to crumble. And Jesus is here. It's made the way for Jesus. It was a schoolmaster that led us to Christ. Now Christ is here. That era is over. New era. The Jesus era. The King Jesus era. The kingdom era. The kingdom age. This is what we're living in. And so his message was the kingdom. His criteria, the criteria for that message was repentance. Again, turning of the heart and changing of the mind. Um, changing of the lifestyle. So, a wild message. Number two, he had a wild mission. A wild mission. Not a mission like, you know, purpose statement, you know, on his office. Right? He didn't have any of those cool successories posters. Y'all know what those are? 20 years ago, they used to have a story going. I, you know, it was like motivational stuff. He, I don't know that he had it on a wall somewhere. If He, he might have had it scribbled down somewhere. He probably didn't have a nice office to sit out. He just would, he would just sit out under the stars and in the heat of the day before the presence of God. Burn. Burn brighter than the sun was burning. It says this, that he was a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So his mission was to prepare the way. What is your primary mission? You might not know this, but your primary mission as the beloved of God is to prepare the way. That is your primary mission. How do we do that? Love God and love others. We're preparing the way for the return of the Lord. This is what we're here for. Not Overflow Church, the church. The church is all about preparing a way 
for the second return? Yes. But also preparing a way for the person that's sitting in the cubicle next to you at work. This is your mission. If you choose to accept it, right? This is your mission. Whether or not, whether or not you choose to accept it or not, it is your mission. And you will live an unfulfilled life until you choose to accept it. And let me say this about Don, John, that he didn't have a voice. He was a voice. There's a lot, and he wasn't an echo. And so what we have a lot of times today because of this, what we, we've been talking a little bit about, about the civilization, the, the, the civilized culture that we live in. What we have is we have a whole lot of echoes because we look and we go, man, that's a really good system. I'm going to emulate that system. But God doesn't, listen, God doesn't, God's not into systems. God doesn't bless systems. He blesses people. If, if you're with me, he blesses people. He's blessing us. Does people create systems? That's okay. Systems work sometimes, but the blessing isn't on the system. It's on the people that are running the system. The problem is, is that we don't, we, we, we don't think like God thinks. So we copy what somebody else does. Listen, I'm all about reading books. I'm all about educating yourself. I'm all about being inspired by people. But we have too much duplication. Listen, inspiration's awesome. You need to be inspired. But stop stop duplicating and start just being inspired. We got all these young preachers. I, I have a real heart for young preachers. And they're just emulating the next Stephen Furtick or whoever that they, they think preaches awesome. It's cool. And they dress like them and talk like them and all this kind of stuff. It's like, why are you emulating a man? Emulate Jesus. Now listen, Paul said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is a place for influence. There's nothing wrong with influence. But duplicating a person is a mistake. You take what they can give you, and then you add on to that. That's what you call the double portion. Okay? Everything that they have, you want to get that. But don't stop there. That's, that's the floor for you. So you might listen to your favorite preacher, whoever it is. And you might, like, listen to them and get those things. But that's awesome. But that was their voice. Don't be an echo. You might be inspired by that. And, and, and I believe that John was. I mean, he was following. People thought that he was Elijah. I mean, he, there was a lot of similarities there. But he was not an echo. He was his own voice. So find your voice. This is John's mission statement, John 3.30. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Listen, the kingdom's not about self-improvement. It's not. The kingdom of God is about preparing a way for Jesus. If that means you getting better, then you can get better. But we, you know, we've got all these books on influence and stuff like that. And we're copying models. I love all that stuff. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing on it. I think it needs to be there. I need it. I read every day. I grow from other people every day. But the mission of my life is not to be self-improved. The, the, the mission of my life is to decrease so that Jesus might be glorified. The mission of, of Josh Brown is to become less and less so that he can become more and more. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said this. He said, he said uh, all of me is none of Christ. Some of me is some of Christ. But none of me is all of Christ. And that's where I want to be. What part? Smith Wigglesworth. He said this. He said, he said, all of me is none of Christ. Some of me is some of Christ. And none of me is all of Christ. That's where I want to get. I want to get where it's not Josh Brown. It's not my pastor. Listen, God's given you gifts. Use those. Awesome. 
but, but the decreased life, laying down my ego, laying down my agenda. You know, find your voice. We have, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Billy Graham, love Billy Graham, went to be with the Lord. And, you know, Billy Graham is the greatest evangelist ever. He impacted more people than the Apostle Paul. Let's just be real, at least with his lifetime, in his lifetime. Millions of people, millions of people gave their life to Jesus because of Billy Graham. And man, we applaud that. We love that so much. But Billy Graham ran his race. And I'm reading articles that are like, you know, about, you know, who's going to be the next Billy Graham? The world doesn't need another Billy Graham. He ran his race. He did what he was supposed to do. Will you run your race? Will you be who you're supposed to be? Will you provide your way? The world doesn't need another Billy Graham. The world doesn't need another Apostle Paul. The world needs you to be who you are. Who God is the assignment that is on your life. Judah and I had this incredible conversation. I love Billy Graham. We, we had this conversation last week. There was a, a President Trump paid homage to Billy Graham. It's beautiful. You should look it up. Regardless of what you think about Trump, he said some great things about Billy Graham. Is we I played it on the video so Judah could watch it in the car on the way home from church last week, and we're 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 like there, and I'm kind of weepy, and Judah's kind of weepy, and he's like, "Man, that's that's so awesome." And I was like, "I was like, buddy, it's so important. It's so important that we that we do what God's called us to do." I was like, "That was awesome for Billy Graham." And Judah's like, "Man, my, I feel something." I was like, it's like, yeah. We get out of the car. I'm like, kind of my eyes are kind of glazed over. Unless he gets out of the car, I'm like, we're Judah's like, can we watch more? And we haven't yet, but it was awesome. But he was simply providing a way for the next move of God. Will you do that? He doesn't need another Billy Graham. And if he does, he'll use it, use one of his sons, not you. Be, be, be stay in your lane. Don't be an echo. Be a voice. If you're gonna echo anything, echo Christ. So he had a wild message, a wild mission. And number three, he had a wild way. It's a wild way about this man who lived in the desert. He, was, he had a radical and peculiar lifestyle. We, we celebrate radical, right? We glamorize what appears to be radical, but God wants to normalize radical in your life. Oh, they're radical for God. That's normal. Most of the things that we call it, man, they're, they're telling people about Jesus every day. That is normal. What the world calls radical, the kingdom calls normal. Can I tell you today, wild is your new normal. Wild is your new normal. Be set free. Run the race that God has set before you. Pursue it. Chase it. Go after it. Not saying you don't get inspired. Please don't take that away. I'm going to do it. I did it my way. Okay, great. Make sure that you're not being prideful in that. You can learn. In fact, we should be standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. Come on. We would be a lot further if we would do that instead of it being about me. And I believe that that's what John the Baptist did. All right. Jesus, this is Jesus' testimony about John the Baptist. What did you go out? Did we get the misspell thing there? What did you go out of the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Jesus is kind of being sarcastic with him. What did you go out to see? Somebody is flaky that's, you know, the wind blows like it is today and they're like all over the place. What did you go out to see? No, see, he didn't say, who did you go out to see? He said, what did you go out to see? Because there was more than just the man, right? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, but more than a prophet. This is one whom the scripture is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way for you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there's never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. He is the greatest man that's ever lived. John the Baptist. Not King David. Not Moses. John the Baptist. That was Jesus' testimony. Then he says this. Then he drops the mic right here. But he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What does that mean? That means greater message. Come on. That means greater mission. It also means greater consecration. It means that we live a wilder way than even John the Baptist did. And when we look at John the Baptist, we see a couple of things about him. We see how he is clothed. Remember how he is clothed? Wear camel's hair. You know, he wasn't trying to be hip. I mean, that was all he could find. With a leather belt. See, he was not consumed with materialism. He was not consumed with things. Listen, we will never make a difference if we are so consumed with things. There's nothing wrong with having things, but things shouldn't have you. He was not consumed with personal ambition. His purpose dwarfed his desire to be admired. Let me say that again. His purpose dwarfed his desire to be admired. He was not caught up in being liked and loved. And we are, we are in such an insecure age. Everybody's going, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, like me, like me, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. Egotistical, narcissistic culture. Social media plays a huge thing into that. And I'm guilty for buying into it just as much as the next guy. But listen, his purpose dwarfed his... You have that desire. And I think God gave you that desire to want to be loved. I think he did because he wants to fill that tank. But listen... Our purpose must dwarf the desire to be liked. It isn't, and let me say this when we're talking about personal, because people say, I don't care what anybody thinks, I want to serve Jesus. Jesus cares what people think. Are you with me? He's not consumed with it, but he does care because he cares about the opinions of men, not to the point to where it would change his purpose, though. Are you with me? So it's important to note that there is a value in testimony. Our goal is not to be liked, though. Our goal is to bring impact. We are not chasing influence. We're chasing the kingdom. We get the kingdom. We'll bring influence. We'll bring impact. We'll do the mandate. But you don't get that. Again, beloved, you don't get this by being like the world. There is nothing attractive by being like everybody else. Nothing attractive about it at all. You're just just another gear in the grind. He was clothed. The second thing, what he consumed tells us a lot. His diet was locust and honey. Now, I did some research on that. People say, well, it wasn't actual locust. It was this tree called locust. Man, I don't know. I don't really care. But what I know is that I think it was wild locusts because that's real common in the East for people to dry out locusts and they roast them and apparently they're like a delicacy. And he ate wild honey. I mean, this was his diet. He had to have something for protein. And, you know, especially living in the desert, you would need some protein. It probably wasn't some little plant people call a locust now. And so he was eating these like three-inch grasshoppers, you know, essentially what it would look like. Pretty gross, pretty weird. He probably had some in his beard and his dreads. They're probably everywhere. He was a mess. He had to have dreads. He just, he had to. I mean, it's just, it's right there in my eyes. And he loved coffee, I bet, too. Maybe he invented it. He made the way. He was a way maker. So, beloved, can I tell you today that you are what you eat? We're not talking, 
you, you talk about physical food a little bit on that. But you are what you eat. What do you consume? Listen, if we have a 15-minute devotional and then spend 15 hours on Netflix and social media and then we wonder why we're unhealthy spiritually. Well, I'm spending time with the Lord, but you're not obsessed with Jesus. I give you a little 15 time. Here you go, Jesus. Here's this. I, I'm consecrated. No, you're not. You're just disciplined enough to wake up early enough or do it before you go to bed. But are you thinking about him throughout your day? Is, there, is your heart obsessed? What are you eating? I think that this speaks of John, that he wasn't worldly. That he didn't consume the same things that everybody was consuming. Listen, you are here to transform, not conform. This is why we're here. This is the mandate of the local church is to transform the world, not conform to it. Not to be like it. Or to be liked by it. It's not. You don't get any value by being hated because you're doing something stupid. Let's just be real. Remember, people hated Jesus and killed him because of it. Oh, nice little sweet Jesus. He'd never say anything to offend anybody. Uh, whatever. Have you read the Bible? He offended a lot of people and the people killed him. And you can blame the religious, but it was you and I that killed us. Killed him with our sin. What does your diet look like? What are you bringing into your body? What are you eating? You know, when we start talking about convictions, people get nervous because their convictions look just like their friends that are unsaved. What is different about your life than those that don't know Jesus that are in your life? What is different? Does your life look just like them? Do you watch the exact same movies, listen to the exact same music? Come on. What are you consuming? Does it look just like they look? Well, they might think I'm weird. Good! If we're not willing to live different, we will never make a difference. Beloved, it is normal for you to have convictions. In fact, I fear a church that looks like the world. I fear a church that when we do something that's sinful and we're so cold and callous that it doesn't bother us. That we watch something on TV that's immoral because it's happened to me when I've watched something and I'm thinking, why is it this bothering me more? Worldliness is a mindset. And we've totally became just another gear in the world. We will not make a difference unless we're willing to live different. Your wildness is rooted in your holiness. Listen, this is how holy John lived. John lived so holy. And his diet and all that stuff, that's a fun little illustration. But listen, John lived so holy before the Lord that people thought he was Jesus. People thought he is a Messiah. In fact, he spent a lot of his time, if you go back and read his conversation, he kept saying, I'm not the Messiah. Just want to remind you guys, because people were coming up to John going, you're the one. You're the one that prophets praise. He said, no, I'm just the way maker. Hey, I've been reminded of a story of a, of a, a little boy that uh, I believe it was the end of World War One or World War Two, And it was the end of the war and it was in rubble. And this kid was standing outside of a, like a pastry shop and he was looking inside the pastry shop. There's rubble all around. And he's just like looking in like, man, I would really like to get some of those pastries. You know, it's early in the morning and a soldier uh, gets out of his truck and goes in and, and gets some things. Uh, from the from some pastries from the shop and he had saw the little boy so he bought the little boy some pastries and he goes outside of that pastry shop and he hands that boy uh, some pastries and the little boy looks at him and he goes mister are you God what do you smell like what do you look like do you look like Jesus to them or do you look just like a nice normal moral person 
Beloved, what is the difference? Scripture tells us that lightness and darkness have nothing in common. It's not to say that there might not be a common ground that you can connect with, but you should be different. How are you different? And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that you're mean-spirited. Your niceness should be greater than anything else. But you should have a standard of excellence and a standard of holiness about you. You should have the, the, the Holy Ghost on you. That when people look at they say something is different about you. The way that you live, the way that you act, the way that you talk, the things that you laugh at, the things that you watch on TV, something is different about you. Why do you do those things? Because I have a life that is committed to Jesus. What did you go out to the desert to see? What did you go out to the desert to see? They're coming out to see. What will they see? Your wildness is rooted in your holiness. Listen, I know that this is this can become a, a kind of a it can take a very mean slanted slant. Listen, don't 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 go there. This isn't about meanness. It's about being a life that's devoted to God. It's not about like God's going to be ticked off at me if I watch too much Netflix. It's not about that at all. But it's about how am I making a way for Jesus in my convictions, in my holiness, in my life that's consecrated to God. Is your life consecrated to God? Or do you just walk around going, I'm a Christian because I asked to sit a little prayer and I have a 15-minute prayer session every day. That's a great place to start. Most of us, most people in the room aren't even doing that. Romans 12, I'm going to read from the message. Someone's going to come up. We're going to pray that God will devote ourselves to the Lord today. Y'all okay? I love you. Look at your neighbor and say, he loves you. Pastor Josh too. (laughs) That's what I meant. All right, Romans 12. I'm reading this from the message. I don't normally read from the message, but I really like the way it says it, especially because Romans 12, 1 and 2, most of us have memorized, but this is the way the Apostle Paul uh, is translated here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you, it is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Notice it doesn't say, fix your attention on your behavior. Fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. You don't fix your behavior by focusing on your behavior. You fix your behavior by focusing on Jesus. That's right. Fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. We, we've done we've done really good at changing ourselves from the outside in. God wants repentance inside out change. Change your thinking, change your life. Readily recognize what He wants from you. And quickly, oh, quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best things out of you. Everybody say out of you. And develops well-formed maturity.